Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I have a wonderful guest for you today. I I almost can't believe we're finally talking on the phone or on the podcast. Hello, Gabrielle Blair. (laughs) Hello, Christine Coe. I'm so glad to be here. Oh my gosh. I am so, so thrilled to talk to you today because you have a lot of important stuff happening, but I need to embarrass you first with a little bit of an intro (laughs) to our (laughs) listeners because it's been a while since you've been on the pod. So friends, Gabrielle Blair has so many accomplishments. I don't even know how to do them justice, but let me try to do it in really broad strokes. She is the founder of Design Mom, an incredible lifestyle website that's been in action since 2006. She is the founder of the incredible conference Alt Summit. She is a New York Times bestselling author of Design Mom, How to Live with Kids. She is the author of the forthcoming book, Ejaculate Responsibly, A Whole New Way to Think About Abortion. It comes out October 18th. If you're listening to this before October 18th, please pre-order. And if you're listening to it after, please order. As I mentioned, she was a former guest here on the show for episode 81, reducing high school and college stress. And Gabrielle is a thought leader on just an incredible, like a shockingly wide array of topics and host to many viral commentaries. But beyond all of this She is a stunning, stunning human being, a lovingly coupled person to the wonderful Ben Blair, a mother of six incredible kids, and really the kindest and most compassionate friend anyone could ask for. And Gabrielle, I'm grateful to be in your loving orbit. And this is something I've shared online before, but I just need to tell listeners on the air because I don't think I've actually said this out loud. But Gabrielle Blair is the kind of person who not only remembers your birthday, but transports actual macarons from France to Ethiopia, knowing that you will be celebrating a birthday away from family. So welcome again, Gabrielle Blair. Oh, you're making me cry. We've been friends for so long, all these experiences. Oh, thank you. That was by far the nicest introduction anyone has ever given me. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You you are a wonder and really, Gabrielle, you're somebody I've always, I mean, I know we've kind of actually I first met you at the very first in-person blogger thing I ever went to at at Disney of all places. (laughs) And ever since, I just always look to you um, because you're always doing amazing things with authenticity and just heart. And you really are like just a divine person in this space. So I'm I'm grateful for you always. Um, But your book, your forthcoming book, which (laughs) I just want everyone to read. I want that's what that's the topic of our conversation today. And I would love to start at the beginning with what was your first ever Twitter thread. That makes me laugh so hard that that was your first one. <laughs> it was four years ago. And I don't even think I can say it went viral. It went like virally viral, even though I'm supposed to not use adverbs anymore. <laughs> so I would love for you to share with listeners what was happening in that particular moment in time that compelled you to publish that thread on men and abortion. Um, yes, I, I love talking about the thread. So this is a great question. Um, so 
the thread came out in September of 2018. And that probably is not a month that is memorable to anyone until I tell you that was when the Kavanaugh hearings were happening. Mm-hmm. And I was just so bothered as I was watching. I mean, for, for a lot of reasons, but what was really bugging me is so many men, generally politicians is who I'm referring to here, um, grandstanding about abortion, talking about it, acting like they care about it, acting like they have strong opinions about it, um, or that they even know anything about it. And it was so clear. They just don't, they, they don't actually care. This isn't an important topic to them. At least this was very, a very clear impression to me from listening to them. And that this was nothing more than a political tool. This was mm-hmm. something they could say the keywords and get the vote. And they needed to be on record. They needed to be on camera saying that they were anti-abortion, that they, you know, were, were pro-life or whatever words they were using. And, um, and, and clearly weren't thinking about this at all, didn't understand how it affected people. Um, and it was it really was driving me bonkers. And that's when I published the post. Sorry, the thread. Um, I had been thinking these thoughts and I had written down these thoughts actually months before that, but wasn't quite sure where to put them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I had, at the same time had been really getting to know Twitter in a different way than I had before. I've been on Twitter since 2008. It was mm-hmm. my first, you know, social media thing, but I didn't really use it much. I would, you know, promote a blog post here or there, but I didn't really get it. Like it didn't click for me until 2015 when a lot of people started paying more attention to it because of the election. And, um, and I started paying attention to, and I still wasn't like producing content on there. I was just kind of observing. It became this place where I would uh, see that, you know, collect the news articles that I was going to want to read, um, where I would see headlines first, where I would see funny things first, you know, like mm-hmm. it just sort of became this place that I was, um, observing and, and more than anything. Um, but then I also got to know it well and could see like, oh, of all the places I publish and I'm, you know, I, I spread myself around, um, nothing is quite like Twitter as far as being able to spread a message mm-hmm. to people that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it just feels different. Even on Instagram, I feel like anyone that's hearing my message on Instagram is one degree separate. They're, they either follow me or they're like one degree separated from me, you know, like, but on Twitter, it, it's, it can be just like, you know, 30 connections away is someone seeing this post, you know, like it's just a right. different world. Um, anyway, so that's how I decided to use Twitter for this, for for this thread. And I've, I've told this story before, but, um, my pride was really in the mix that day for sure. Is my first Twitter thread. I knew it was an embarrassingly long thread. Like there's, I mean, there's like kind of etiquette, right? Like kind of Twitter etiquette. And like, you can't even go past 25 with like, you have to publish at 25 and then you can add more to that. But like, you know, like a thread of like, under 10 is ideal, right? You, I mean, you don't want to be obnoxious. And I have 63 tweets in this thread. So, so I'm like, this is, this is probably not even a good idea. You know, like I, I'm worried about that. I'm worried that like, no one's going to care about it, that I'm putting out not only an obnoxiously long thread, but that no one's going to look at it. And that was my big fear. And so I was, you know, thinking about how fast I could delete it if I needed to, <laughs> like, what would that look like? And Anyway, and then I put it out into the world and I, I was on California time. So that means everyone's awake. You know, if I had done it early morning in 
New York, maybe it would have been different. But by the time I published it, you know, the whole country was awake and um, it went viral immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so so it was really in response. So I, I start the thread talking about, you know, I've been listening to men grandstand about abortion. And what I was specifically referring to was the Kavanaugh hearings, although I've heard that uh, I've heard men grandstand, grandstand about abortion many, many dozens of times <laughs> since then. So it's a pretty universal feeling, even if Kavanaugh hearings aren't happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting, I didn't even mention this at the top of the episode, but, you know, you identify, well, I guess I wonder if I can just say this in a broad yeah. strokes, but as a progressive, you are a progressive Mormon woman. So I think it's yes. it was such a different and perhaps to some shocking kind of lane to be in, um, which I think made it extra powerful. Um, well, so given how widely that thread has been shared, I'm curious because you and I haven't even had a chance to we're much delayed in our just general catch ups. And so I'm curious about the backstory and how this evolved from a Twitter thread to a book. Was it in advance? You know, what was the timing in relation to, you know, Roe versus Wade? And, you know, did did Workman just reach out and say, we need to flip this immediately? (laughs) I'm so curious about the backstory. Sure. Yeah. So as soon as the thread went viral, I heard from publishers immediately. And mm. um, it's it reminded me of back in the blogging heyday when, you know, you didn't even have to do a book proposal. The publisher is going to reach out if you got if your blog grew to a certain size, they're going to be like, let's do a book, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit like that. They were like, hey, look, you know, there's something there we should turn into a book. And at the time, I couldn't see it. I was like. I've said what I said, like, it's like, like, I, I don't know that there's a book there. Um, and that's how I felt in the, in the immediate after. But then, of course, I didn't understand that this thread was going to be a major part of my life for the next four years and, and counting. So, yes. I mean, and, and I, and I want to note that I've written other viral threads since then. Nothing like this, not just in numbers, but like in longevity, I, the, the thread is retweeted liked, responded to, argued with every single day, like since it's Incredible. been published. Incredible. And, and, and sometimes hundreds of times that day or thousands of times that day, depending on what's happening in the news. So none of my, you know, my other threads, they'll, they might come and go. They, you know, a couple of them have had a little bit longer life, but nothing like this. So anyway, and if I had understood that right at the beginning, maybe I would have said, oh yeah, yeah, there's a book there. But I, I didn't understand that. This was my first thread and I didn't mm-hmm. really understand any of that. So. What happened was um, people did start interacting with me every day on the thread and I learned a ton. I was just learning every day. I was learning um, how to refine my arguments, you know, where I wasn't clear enough, mm. where kind of where people were kind of getting stuck, where mm-hmm. they would like, I, it was really easy to see where they would stop reading because they comment right then. And so you could see like, oh, okay, people are getting stuck on this idea or they're getting stuck on this concept. Also things like there were mistakes where I... Um, typos, of course, but also like, oh, I there's more current. Re- I, I was linking to an article, but there's actually more current research. Mm-hmm. So what I was ac- what I was linking to wasn't as accurate as it could have been, you know, things like that. So I'm refining and arguing and spending. Um, I, I don't do it every day, but, the, you know, the thread is being interacted with every day, but I am doing it weekly for sure. And sometimes daily, you know, like um, it, it became a it was it was also like interesting to me. You know, I just really I, I liked um, the arguments and like seeing kind of what people would bring to it and how people would defend it, um, all sorts of things. So, so a couple years of that, 
And now my brain is, oh, there's definitely a book. Like I, I, yeah. I need to take these, the kernels that were in this thread and make it stronger and better. And it was also clear to me, um, a Twitter thread is a Twitter thread and not everyone's on Twitter. Not everyone even knows what a thread is. You know, uh-huh. like it's, 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 it's easy to dismiss. It's uh-huh. really easy to say, oh, you saw it on Twitter. Then it doesn't mean anything. It's just like a, it's a meme. It's nothing. Uh-huh. And, um, and I knew this was more serious than that. This was a bigger idea than that. And there's just something about a book and you know, this, you're an author. Um, there's something about being able to hold it in your hand. It gets taken more seriously. No one's going to review a Twitter thread. You know, like you're, you're not going to yes. like, you're not going to have authorities chiming in on this in any kind of official way. You're not going to have experts commenting for good or for ill about this A book. You can't, you know, so there's just something different about a book. And I realized like, oh, it does need to be a book. And I know how to make it a book because I have learned so much over these years, you know, working on the thread. So um, at the beginning of 2020, right as the world shut down and I realized, oh, I can't put on my conference anymore until who knows when. Um, that's when I actually started working on a book proposal and I had never done a full proposal before. Um, even though I have a book before, it was just a different situation. So that was a new and exciting experience to me. I mean, I didn't understand this is like a 75 page document. It's like a book itself, you know, like I just didn't, you know, so, so that was new and exciting. Um, anyway, I did, I, I, I started working on it then. Now at that time, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were predicting that Roe was at risk. And I mean, I did hear chatter about that, but I didn't, I don't think I ever really took it seriously. I think I'm a pretty hopeful person and it's easy for me to, uh, you know, assume it's going to work out or assume the best or something. And, and also I had seen the conservatives in charge before I'd seen the Republicans in charge before and they hadn't overturned it. So Uh I, in my head, it was like, they don't want to give this up. This is their big talking point. This is their big political how to get votes. And I kind of just thought strategy wise, they wouldn't actually do it. Yeah. And now, of course, I look back and I hear all these experts and they're like, no, we've been telling you. I'm like, oh, I was not listening then because I, I, I mean, I, I was not believing it. So so that's just me. Maybe it was me being an ostrich with my head in the ground. I, I don't know. But I, I really did not understand that they were really going to do this. Um. Anyway, so I did not try and time it with Roe at all, um, but the, I wrote the proposal. It took me a long time to write the proposal. Then my, we, uh, my agent was about to go sell it, and I kind of paused because all of a sudden I was like, okay, is, you know, if I'm tying my name to this in a book, it's also different than a thread in that, like, this may be all I'm ever known for. At this, uh-huh. like, like, and it, and I'm ready for that. This is a really serious topic. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I just hesitated for a minute. Like, is do I really want to do this? And um, and then abortion was in the news again. And I'm, I I don't remember as distinctly what was happening, but I think it was another um, Supreme Court hearing. And I probably was because there's been another two since Kavanaugh. But um, and finally, and it was again this impetus. Like, no, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to do mm-hmm. it. I, I, I care too much about this. So, um, so she went out and she sold it. And I really, really wanted to work with my same publisher that I'd done my first book if I could, but my publisher artisan 
It's like coffee table books. Like, yeah. like beautiful photography. The, so, this could be a coffee table book. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and I should say, like, I wanted to work with um, Leah, who'd been my editor, who's now a publisher. You know, like, she, she'd been uh, promoted. And so I, I wasn't sure how to do that. But then, um, interestingly, um, so, then she, so then we said, well, maybe Workman could do it because Workman is the owner of yes. uh, Artisan. And, and then, um, even since then, um, Workman has been purchased by Hachette. So now it's an even bigger conglomeration. But anyway, so now it's like there's, it, it, like I want to work with Leah and I still get to work with Leah and I'm so glad. And that, you know, there would have been a time that that didn't work out. When I was first thinking about this, that wouldn't mm. have been a possibility. So all of that just feels like wonderful. As far as the timing goes, though, I couldn't have predicted it. And um, and really, I, again, I was writing this after I'd written the first thread, but certainly before there was we, that, that I knew for certain that Roe was going to be turnover turn. You know, Ugh, I mean, I didn't know for incredible. certain until yeah. until the leak, until the leak earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, oh, they're really going to do this. Oh, they're really going to do this. Even then, even after the leak, a part of my brain was like, well, maybe they're doing it so that um, then they'll see the extreme reaction and they won't do it. You know, maybe they did the leak because like, like even then I was, I just couldn't imagine they were really going to mess up women's lives this way. And I don't know why. I, of course, I look back and it's all so clear, but I was in denial. Yeah, same, same. This is just so fascinating, Gabrielle. And I'm appreciative of you of sharing the process because it's a good reminder that things take time, you know? And, um, so anyway, I have a lot more I want to ask you and I want to dig into (laughs) the book and we're going to do that after a quick break. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oftentimes when asked to think about what one would do with a bonus hour, people reference things like exercise, play, and rest. These are all super important things. And I would recommend adding, getting the support you need and deserve to your list. As a mom, independent business owner, and human blessed with many relationships, I spend a lot of time giving. So one of the greatest gifts of therapy for me has been the ability to know that someone is holding space for and listening to me. No filter required. I adjust my session frequency as needed, and it is a huge comfort knowing support is there for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. This online therapy platform was designed to remove the traditional barriers to therapy and make mental health care more accessible to everyone. Simply fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin, but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera, clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days I take Hyacera every morning with my first glass of water, and like all of the Ritual products I have tried, the capsule actually smells good. Ritual's products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Okay, friends, we are back with the wonderful Gabrielle Blair, author of the forthcoming book, Ejaculate Responsibly, A Whole New Way to Think About Abortion. Gabrielle, your book includes 28 arguments. It's like compact, compelling book. I love it. And these arguments make the case for moving the abortion debate away from controlling and legislating women's bodies to focusing on men's lack of accountability and preventing unwanted pregnancies. Perhaps best encapsulated by this quote that I just kind of like, it made me like just sit and stop. (laughs) You write, we've put the burden of pregnancy prevention on the person who is fertile for 24 hours a month instead of the person who is fertile 24 hours a day, every day of their life. Oh my gosh. So (laughs) I imagine this has generated, you know, this kind of um, conversation thread that you've had with people on Twitter and since that it's generated many types of responses. But what I'm curious about is for those who get either super patriarchy ragey or super defensive, what is your first line of communication to those polarized responses? Well, um, I I mean, I have a few different tactics, to be honest. Um, One is that where they get really stuck is um, the ones who, the ones who are happy with the status quo that are typically um, anti-abortion. I'm going to talk about them or just maybe men who are reading this for the first time and are not feeling open-minded. Where they get stuck is when I talk about men cause all unwanted pregnancies. And and I'll just say it like, nope, all of them, men cause all of them. And they get really stuck there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can usually walk them through the biology of it. And if they're open-minded at all, they'll understand what I'm coming from, where I'm coming from. Like men impregnate, women are impregnated. Ovulation is completely involuntary. Ejaculation is completely voluntary. You know, like these are just biological facts. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, and that, that I can, that is okay. But what kills them is they just feel that there's this sense of unfairness. Like you cannot put it all on the men. That just is not fair. They, they, and they'll come back to me immediately and say, no, it's gotta be 50, 50. It's gotta be 50, 50. And I will immediately say to them, that sounds amazing. Yes. Let's do 50, 50. I'm all, I'm, I'm all for it. Definitely. Please describe to me how it's 50, 50 now, or how you conceive of it being 50, 50. What does 50, 50 look like? And because, and then I, and I'm saying that because of course it's not 50, 50, it's not even close to 50, 50. It's entirely on women right now. The, the, the work of pregnancy prevention mm-hmm. and, and I'll say almost entirely because the, you know, there, there are some men who wear condoms, but, um, even with condoms, women buy over 30% of that, but anyway, that's a, its own side note. So, so the, the work of pregnancy prevention right now is on women and, it's so uneven and it's so unfair. And yet they've never noticed that they've never mm-hmm. argued with someone about that and said, Hey, this is really unfair. And we need to take care of this. They only noticed, they only cared when I flipped it around and said, Hey, what if we, what if, what if it was on men? You know, what if we pointed out that, that men's bodies are involved in this too, that it's not just on women. Um, and there's, you know, like if, if they, are, and I, I don't know if an open mind is the right word, but if they're, 
really actually are trying to have this argument, if they really are trying to understand at all, um, not even understand to agree, but just try to understand, understand what I'm saying, they'll get it. There's, I mean, there's nothing not to get. Like I can mm-hmm. show them the, the statistics if they need them. I can show them, hey, here's the $8 billion um, birth control industry. It's massive. And it's 90% funded by purchases that women are making mm-hmm. for their bodies, products for women. Um, women are doing the work of pregnancy prevention. And um, it's, it's hard to argue with that. So, so I can, anyway, I can, can get them to talk about that and say, you know, what would that look like? What's 50-50? And interestingly, they, their tendency, and it's almost universal. Like they, this is almost a universal response. When I ask them like, okay, so what's 50-50? They'll say, well, the woman just needs to make sure the man wears a condom. <laughs> and, and I have to immediately go, You're okay. like, there you are making my point. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So I'm like, okay, so you want the woman to be responsible for her body and also responsible for his body, mm-hmm. for her actions and for his actions. And they, they can't see it at first. Like it's, they really don't even hear what they're saying. This is so embedded in the culture. And mm. I want to say too, I should also say, this is not just men until women have been shown these ideas, which a lot of women haven't seen them until they read my thread or my book. Um, Cause I mean, I, I'm the same as, as everyone else. I hadn't thought of these things until I'd already had six kids, right? Like this is not, these were not ideas that were part of my life. The idea that like, Oh, men should be helping out more. Why is the burden all on women? I hadn't really even thought about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just men that are, that hear this and, and feel like, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. This feels unequal. This feels unfair. And then the more they think about it, they go, oh yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it is unfair right this minute. And maybe we should be doing something about that. Um, now I feel like I'm trailing off and I've forgotten even where I'm going. No, I think you're good. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was really, you know, how do you basically deal oh, with those yeah. stuck points? And so this yeah. is, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, I, I imagine the defensiveness is kind of one of the most common reactions to it. Right. And, and not always, though, I do want to say it's easy if you if you get on the thread or you get on the message boards or anything like that, it's easy to see the negative comments. It's easy to see people arguing. But I have been there from the beginning and I've seen the responses everywhere. And I can assure you there's been so much more positive than negative mm. that and that's from men and women. Um, that's from people across the political spectrum. Like it's it, the ideas, it, there's nothing really to argue with, you know, like I'll, I'll try and take them through that. Like, are you trying to say you think men shouldn't use condoms? Is that the argument you're going to make? You know, like no one's going to make that argument. Mm-hmm. Um, are you trying to say men shouldn't be responsible for their bodies? Like, no, no one wants to make that argument. There, there's, there's, are you trying to say we shouldn't prevent the unwanted pregnancies, that that wouldn't be more effective than trying to convince people who are already pregnant that they shouldn't have an abortion or that they should you know, relinquish their child for adoption. Like obviously prevention is makes a thousand, a thousand percent more chance. You know, I mean, more sense. Like it's yeah. just, it's just, it's so obvious to anyone, right? Like, so, so if someone, if I can't get someone there, then I know they're not, um, you know, if I can't get them on board with the idea of prevention, I don't really feel like they were sincerely caring about this right. topic, you know, because right. it's, 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 it's a universal thing. If you're anti-abortion, if you're pro-choice, the idea of, well, what if there wasn't a pregnancy in the first place? Sounds good to everybody. Like, uh-huh. what if we never had to get to the place where we ha- the woman had to wonder, do I need to go to another state? Can uh-huh. I get an abortion? Like, what if we never even had to get there? What if uh-huh. there, we didn't have to make laws about this? 
because there wasn't a pregnancy in the first place. Um, and, and, and people get it. It's the, it's the axiom we've all heard, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's true in this scenario as well. Yeah. So, so I want to say as much as there's been, you know, negativity, there's been far more people that are like, Oh, I get it. And that's been beautiful. I'll hear from women who, I mean, I'll hear from women in tears that are like, Oh, I hate being on birth control. I've been on birth. I'm married. I have three kids. I've been on birth control for a decade or longer. And it's just never occurred to me that my husband could get a vasectomy. Like no one explained this stuff to me. And and he's Mm -hmm. never brought it up. I don't think it's occurred to him, you know, like, and they're just all of a sudden feel this hope this like, Oh, they're going to, they see some relief in the future. And um, so that's really lovely and really wonderful responses from men who I can tell from their comments are looking back at their sexual life and thinking about maybe where they didn't ejaculate responsibly. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden seeing those actions in light of, whoa. So I was refusing to wear a condom because I thought it would feel a little bit better. And holy cow, what was I risking? Yeah. I was risking this out that my partner's health, her job, her relationships, her social status for my pleasure. Like that you can see they get it. and. And I'm confident that going into future sexual experiences, they'll be more responsible. You know, like, I don't know how you couldn't be if you're a decent human being. I don't know how you once you've seen it, once you know, like, how do you not ejaculate responsibly? Yeah, it's it's so that is like, I'm so glad you shared that because the there is such hope and beauty in that. And actually, I want to talk about action. (laughs) And I and I should mention also that you have an incredible Substack newsletter. I don't even know if that's the right thing to call it, but <laughs> I, I will link up some of the things that you've shared about, um, you know, the anniversary of the thread and, and other things. But one of the things I do want to talk about is I am just in love with your campaign to get your book into the hands of the nine Supreme Court justices, particularly those who voted <laughs> to overturn Roe. I will link up that Substack <laughs> post about the details about how people can join that effort. But I just wanted... I just, you're always the most creative in how you engage people. So I wanted you to tell us why you decided to issue this call to action and where the book tally is at um, and which, yes. which justice <laughs> has been sent the most copies. I might have my guess, but you know, I, I would love to hear from you. <laughs> um, you bet. So where this came from, this was discussions with Ben Blair, my husband, where we were talking about that I'm aware of sort of the impact, right? I'm getting these stories, the same stories I was just telling you. I'm hearing these, I'm receiving these. But it's hard to gauge what the impact of these ideas have has been. And I want to and, and I really do want this book to have impact. That's that's, you know, what I was trying to describe, like I, a book can have more impact than the thread. And that's why I'm writing it. And I really want this to have impact. I really want it to um, change these conversations. So how do I measure that? And, and I don't know that I can. It will take years right before we mm-hmm. can actually see see the measurement. But I'm impatient and I'm also like I'm a visual learner. And so I was like, well, can I just, you know, how could I kind of represent it visually so that people have something to see that, you know, like, oh, I can like I can see the impact. So anyway, so Ben really I I, want to credit him because he really got the idea of, oh, like, what if we're um, asking people who they're sending it to? And what if we're, you know, like what if we're kind of creating um giving people the ideas of where it could make the most em- impact um, if they send it to someone. And so we, we started with the Supreme court justice um, 
impact goal. I, I've introduced two impact goals so far. I'll be introducing another one next week. Um, and the first one with Supreme Court justices. And the reason I did that is because there's only nine of them versus if you want to send like every high school coach in America, there's a lot more than nine, you know? So we're like, okay, right. there's nine of them. It's easy to find their, their public, you know, shipping address. Um, we can do this. And so we introduced the idea. I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start by sending a book to the, the, um, justices who voted to overturn Roe. And I would like any of you, you know, who want to, to also send books because I, I think it's much more impactful to send lots of books. They've got lots of staff, they've got interns and they've got clerks. And, um, I think if there's, if they're receiving a lot of books and it's not just me sending a stack of books, it's individuals sending a book with a message, you know, leaving a note that says, Hey, I want you to read this book. This is important to me. I think that could have a lot of impact. I need people to be talking about this. I, you know, as much as reading about it is great. I need people to be talking about it. So I can picture staffers getting all these books delivered and, you know, it's hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore the title. I, you know, we try to do a, yep. a memorable, provocative title. Um, the word ejaculate is like a funny word, you know, like it's like the least sexy way to talk about sex, you know? And um, so, so like, that's all very intentional. The cover is super compelling. It's mm-hmm. got a very 70s throwback vibe designed by Bonnie Stiegler. Anyway, all of this is so intentional with the idea, like, it's going to be hard to ignore this. And I want all these clerks talking about it. I also made it like really easy to read. The biggest part of the 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 book for me was cutting cutting it down. Mm-hmm. Like how do I make it small enough that it's just a, a you can read it, you can sit down and read it in the afternoon. It's it's not intimidating in any way. It's easy to share all those things. Um so I so my hope is that these clerks will see this that these I that these ideas will um, be talked about in political circles um, and that we can really have some impact there. So um, I asked people to do it. I made a little graphic that showed like, okay, so one book has gone to, has been ordered for, you know, these, these justices. And I had a little illustration of them and then had um, the book cover and a number on it. And I'm I'm sure you'll link to this so that people can see. I will. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then (laughs) I made a, I made a little Google form and just asked people like, Hey, if you've, if you, and this is all just self-reported, I'm not asking anyone for receipts, but like, Hey, if you've ordered one for Supreme court justice, let us know who you ordered it for on this Google form. And we'll keep track of that. So it's been really fun to to see. (laughs) Um, I have not checked it today, but I did check it yesterday and I'm pulling out the graphic in front of me so that I've got it. Um, so the, at the most recent count, um, Amy Coney Barrett has <laughs> been sent the most at 15. And I, 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 for whatever reason, I was surprised by that. I thought it would go to Kavanaugh. He's the one uh-huh. that like, I, I feel, always feel the angriest about. I don't know yeah, why. That was my I, I get angry too. about a lot of them. But uh-huh. I thought that the most would be Kavanaugh, but only 12 have gone to him. So, okay, I'll send I'll send one to Kavanaugh then. I'll I'll, okay. I'll commit to that. <laughs> and I say only twelve. I love that his office is going to get twelve books. It's amazing. Now I also sent one book. I mean, I when I, after a while, after a, a few days, I could see like, oh, everyone's getting them except the three justices who are not conservative. And I I still want them to read the book. Like I want men to read this book, but I want women to too. Like it's the ideas are important for everyone, and wherever you are on the political spectrum this shift is 
is beyond that. Like it's, it's not, um, it's not even a political shift. It's a, a whole different way of thinking. And so I want everyone to have them. So I have sent, uh, I've ordered a book for the three um, justices who did not try and overturn <laughs> Roe, but, um, and, but they're only getting one each so far. No one else has decided, <laughs> no one else has sent one to them. Everyone else. So you can look at the graphic, but like 15, 12, 11, 10, so like great. lots of books going out. It's super fun. Um, anyway, really fun. The next impact goal I introduced was book groups. Cause as I said, I want people talking about this. So, um, a book group is such a great, or a book club, a book club, whatever you like to call it. Um, it's so great if you read it, but how much greater if you're talking about it with people. And so, um, I've been, I created another Google form, asked people to, you know, let me know, Hey, are you having a book club about this? Um, how many people are in your book club? What's where, where is, you know, what's your state or your country? And so we're, we're tracking that. And, and that's super fun to see those um, reports coming in. And those, I, I mean, I hope we track it for a year, you know, I want to, mm-hmm. or longer, you know, I, I want to see what this happens, um, what happens with this, but, um, and be able to sort of see the impact there. The next impact, well, you're the first to, to hear it officially, but I'll be introducing this in a few days. And that is we're we'd like to send them to every Senator and governor. Mm. So that will be the next one. That's a, that's bigger than nine justices, right? Yeah. Um, this is 150 people. Can we get one out to everybody? I don't know. We will see. Um, and really though, I also am hoping this just inspires people to think about who do they want to send it to? So I'll be getting emails from people saying, Hey, the justices, that's great. I want to get it to my local, you know, like a, a you know, lo- someone, a, a local governor, or I'm sorry, a local government worker, someone in their city who they uh-huh. feel like is having an impact, someone in their state who feel, who they feel like is having an impact. And of course, I'm like, yes, definitely. I can't collect the email. I mean, sorry, the shipping addresses of every <laughs> state level, um, you know, a government employee. So uh-huh. that's like that. I can't do that. But Certainly you, anyone can individually, if, if there's someone in their state that like, I know who needs to have this great. And I also, I wanted to go to local, I mean, much more local things, non-government people. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, does it need to go to health teachers in high schools? Does it need to go to sororities and fraternities? Like who, who needs, who can have the most impact? Mm-hmm. Who can get this into the hands of the people that need to read it? Which I hope is everybody, right? Like um, any, if, if your body can become pregnant, if your body can impregnate someone, like read this, know, know this information. So that's where I'm at. And um, that's kind of where my brain was when in coming up with this, but it is such a pleasure to update those numbers. I cannot even tell you the, it's, 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 it's similar to like, when you get to like mark something off your to-do list and like make that check mark on something you like, you know, that was really satisfying to get done. Uh-huh. Um, that's how it feels. So I love hearing these re- the reports and um, I think it'll be fun to do a map of the U.S. and start seeing, you know, where we've sent um, senators and governors and who who still needs them. And um, I don't know. I, I I honestly don't even know that that's where the biggest effect would be. Right. The justices. I don't know that that's where the biggest effect would be. I really think it's individuals reading this. It's an it's an individual man reading this and going, oh, my gosh, why haven't I gotten a vasectomy? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's a it's an individual woman reading this going, Oh yeah. Okay. I've been trying everything with birth control. It's super hard. I can ask my partner to ejaculate responsibly. That is not a big ask. Mm-hmm. That is not a big ask. And, and I know men and I love men. And I know they're perfectly capable of ejaculating responsibly. This is not, we're not asking them to do something difficult. 
you can have a lovely, wonderful sexual experience without putting your sperm near someone's egg. Like that, <laughs> that is a, that is, yes. that is not, that is not a hard thing to do. You can enjoy, you know, a full sexual life without ejaculating irresponsibly. And, and I, I just don't think we've put these ideas out there. I just don't think, well, I know that women haven't thought of this. Men haven't thought of this. We just haven't thought of this. We haven't talked about this, that like, oh, the issue maybe is the sperm. Like most times women have sex, they can't even get pregnant at all. Maybe we should be talking about the sperm here. Like we we just haven't done that. And, and we need to, and that's going to be a person by person thing. But you know what? I know it can be done because we've seen it done with seatbelts. We've seen it done with smoking. And I distinctly remember being 16, getting my driver's license, and it was right as seatbelts were becoming laws. Like this was, there was finally some, some, some legal stuff happening where it was like, no, everyone's going to start wearing their seatbelts. And I remember resistance so distinctly, even personally, like I hadn't grown up with them. We had this big family, you know, like basically, you know being thrown around a Volkswagen bus, you know, like, yeah, there were not enough seats. Yes. Right. Not enough seats. You're like jumping from row to row. It just was a non-issue. Your mom's putting her arm out, you know, if she's coming to a stop to like, as if that's going to do anything. I mean, we've all seen it. Um, anyway, so, and then I remember feeling like, oh, it's not cool. Like it's, so now I'm 16, I'm going to start driving. It's not cool to wear a seatbelt and really feeling that. And then um, some, some kids came, came down to my little town from Salt Lake city, which seemed like the big city to me. And they came down for spring break and we were in the car with them. We're driving around, kind of joy riding around the town. And they made us all put on seatbelts and they were wearing seatbelts. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh, so uh-huh. in the big city, it's cool to wear a seatbelt or like, it's like everyone's wearing seatbelts. And like, it just felt like for sure to my 16 year old brain, it was this like positive peer pressure of like, oh, if they're wearing them, then I'm going to wear it. Like, I guess we're all wearing seatbelts now. And that was just me, individual me, 16 year old. But that was happening to everybody in the entire country on an individual level Yeah, where they hadn't yeah. grown up with seatbelts. They had driven with seatbelts and they were being convinced person by person like, oh, I have to wear a seatbelt now. And that's a good thing. Like, that's a good thing. And now. If I said to you, hey, Chris, if you said, hey, I'm going to go run an errand. And I said, oh, are you planning to wear your seatbelt? That would be the dumbest question in the world. You'd be like, <laughs> why? Of course, obviously. Like, what? Like, why, why are you asking that? That's so weird. We need to get there on condoms. Yeah. No uh-huh. one needs to be saying like, oh, are you planning to use a condom? Like, obviously, why wouldn't I use a condom? 100% I'm going to use a condom. That's insane yep. that I wouldn't use a condom. Of course. Of course I'm going to use a condom. We need to get there. And I know we can. And it's, it's, it's like, here's the myths, here's the stigmas, let's overcome them. How do we do it? We talk to each other, we create programs, we create campaigns. This is what we do. And we know how to do it. And I think we can do it. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. (laughs) And I have, we're actually going to talk about action um, that works and things that work. And we're going to just do that after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Okay, friends, we are back, and I hope you are enjoying this conversation with Gabrielle Blair as much as I am. It is, it's just, I feel hopeful, and I just feel like pumped up to get this book out there. So let's do it. So Gabrielle, I have a question. I want to talk about what works, which you talk about, or you write about in your book, specifically access to birth control and comprehensive sex ed, one of my favorite topics. So (laughs) you translate many facts in your book to back up each, but I'm curious, what is one key message you want to leave listeners with about why access to birth control and comprehensive sex ed matters and how people can step into the ring to advocate for it? So I love this question. Um, They matter if you want to see abortions go down, if that's important to you. It's not important to everyone. If it is important to you, if you're like, I don't like abortions, I don't want to, I don't want to see um, any more abortions. I want to see these numbers plummet. Then access to birth control and comprehensive sex ed. Those are two proven ways that we know how to do that. We know how to drop the numbers significantly, dramatically with just those two things, um, th- which I also want to point out, like none of this is magic. I'm, I think people feel like, oh, well, we got to do it with laws or we got to do it with, um, I mean, the people that are anti-abortion that want to see abortions go away, they're saying, oh, we just got to outlaw it, then it will go away. And we're like, actually, no, there's a lot of data. That's not true. We've seen it in other countries and et cetera, et cetera. But we do know it works and it's not magic. And that's good news that is not magic. It's great that like we know. So um, free and easily accessible birth control, we know that works. And comprehensive sex ed, we know that works. and if this is important to you, then that's where you need to focus your time. The idea of like, hey, I want to get rid of abortions. And so I'm going to stand outside an abortion clinic and yell at people. I'm going to give money to that kind of cause is not reducing abortion in any way. We have data about that, too. It doesn't reduce abortion. So if you really don't like abortions and you want to get rid of them, this is where I'm asking you to focus. Focus on programs for free and, and easily accessible birth control. Focus on programs for comprehensive sex ed. Um, if you have religious issues with, with either of those, then we'll 
I guess we'll need to talk. But the reality is if you want to see abortions go down, those are the only proven things that have shown that they, that, that they will reduce abortion. Now, what if you're like, well, I'm very pro-choice and I'm fine if abortions go to, don't go down, which personally is where I'm at. In, in theory, I'm like, uh, in, not even in theory, in reality, I'm like, look, if a woman wants or needs an abortion for whatever reason, I want her to legally be able to get one. But I can also tell you that I would love to see the number of unwanted pregnancies go down, which I know would also reduce abortions. And the reason why is because I have been pregnant and I know what that means. Mm-hmm. And I found it very difficult. And I had the most medically, you know, average, normal, whatever word you want to use there, typical pregnancy that you can have for all six pregnancies, nothing unusual. And I hated being pregnant mm-hmm. almost every day of the pregnancy. Like I did not enjoy this. And I certainly there were interesting things. It's very strange to fear it. Fill a baby move into you. I move inside you. What a, what a bizarre thing, you know, like, so it's not like I, I, I've, Obviously, I chose it over and over again. So I knew what I was getting into. But I am just saying, if someone doesn't desperately want to be pregnant, I would like them not to have to be pregnant. Like, um, I, I don't want them to have to experience that. So for me, it's a great thing if I see abortions go down, if I see unwanted pregnancies go down, because it means that women aren't having to experience something that they didn't want to experience. And I think it also means that men aren't being casual with women with women's bodies, which uh-huh. I think is would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, so while I'm very pro-choice and would love to, abortion to remain legal for anyone who wants or needs one at any time, um, I also would be over the moon to see that very few women do need them because there was no unwanted pregnancy in the first place. Yeah. I want to take a moment to highlight, I don't, and mention to you, Gabrielle, cause I don't know if you are aware of them, but I have, um, very wonderful friends and former colleagues at Advocates for Youth. It's an organization based out of Washington, D.C., and they just they do amazing work. And one of them, one of their projects, they have two projects I just wanted to quickly mention. One is called the Condom Collective, and basically Mm. they work on distributing one over a million Trojan condoms on college campuses across the United States. Like so awesome. And then Amazing. they also have a project called Free the Pill. So it's a youth council and they're they're working with a reproductive health organization, basically, you know, um, giving activists the tools they need to to try to advocate for um, free contraceptive care. So just such yes. amazing work. And I'll, yes. I'll link them up in the show notes. But I just wanted to mention to you while it was top of mind, because, oh, my gosh, like they they just do such yes. good stuff. <laughs> oh, I love hearing about that. And yes. And I mean, and, and when we talk about like legal remedies in over a hundred countries, birth control is over the counter. Like you can just go in and buy it. Like you buy, you know, Advil or, or whatever it is you need um, at the, at the pharmacy. And so that's a place we can, we can put some energy. Um, any of these free condom programs, you know, you can get free condoms in any state that every state in our country has, has con- free condom programs, but no one knows about them. I didn't know about it until I was researching for this book. Um, so and, and and yes, and, and college campuses, exactly what you're referring to, to just be able to drop by any clinic at a college campus, you're going to see um, free condoms as well and a bowl mm-hmm. waiting for whoever needs them. Anyway, yes, I mean, there are places we can focus this energy that makes so much more sense that actually affect affect the problem, you know, like that yeah. actually um, have impact. Yeah, so amazing. Oh my gosh, Gabrielle, this has just been such a fantastic conversation. I know that you are running short on time. So I just want to ask you one last thing. 
I don't know if you remember this from back when you did the call it the reducing stress episode for high schoolers. Um, but at the end of each edit your life episode, I like to have my guest share what is called your next edit. It's a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to our conversation. I know we've talked about a lot of actionable things, but in the context <laughs> of what we've talked about, what is your top of mind, your next edit for listeners to take away? Um, oh, I have given so many actions that maybe this isn't helpful. Um, one of the first thing to come to mind is, hey, maybe take on one of these impact goals that, I'm, that I've mentioned. You can send a book to a Supreme Court justice. You can organize uh, your book club to, to read the book. Um, so that's a, a really easy, straightforward thing. You can get on the books for, you know, six months from now or whatever it might be for your book club. Um, but the other thing I want to say is zero cost. And that is, um, and, and I'm going to say this more specifically, um, well, to men and women. For men who have figured out how to use condoms, who have figured out like, oh, I know what kind I like. I know my size. I know how to lubricate. And now I don't have any hesitation about using a condom, which there's a lot of men that have figured this out. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you to tell another man about this. Mm-hmm. Tell someone about this. Tell or another woman. T- tell someone what you've figured out so that they can pass this knowledge to someone else too. Because some of this is just an issue of knowledge not being passed along. And yep. related to that, if you have had a vasectomy or your partner has had a vasectomy, please tell someone. Please tell tell them how your sex life improved. Please tell them how easy it was. Um, and how, how the, how, how pain-free it was, if if it was pain-free or or how easy the healing was, if that's what it was or or whatever positive thing you can say and how the, the burden and the pressure that was on your shoulders every time you had sex and you didn't even really comprehend it is now gone. You Mm. know, like talk Mm -hmm. about those, those things, tell someone so that they can tell someone. And this, this is how we educate sadly in this country. Like, I mean, uh, maybe it's not sadly, maybe it's good to, to connect that way, but we don't have great programs about sex ed. Um, we, we just don't. And especially even if we do have a sex ed program, it's not going into this, like how to properly use condoms so that sex is just as pleasurable. Like we certainly are not talking about that. We're certainly not talking about vasectomies. So we got to do it person to person at this point. And, um, until we have programs in place. So Get out there. If you have no tips and tricks about condoms, spread the word. If you know, if you've had a vasectomy and can speak positively about it, spread the word. I think that's the perfect rally cry. And Gabby, if there's somebody, if there's anybody who can, you know, move the needle here, it is you not to put pressure on, but I I believe in you and your work so much. So thank you for taking the time to share with me and my listeners today. This was just a joy. I was delighted to be here. I loved every question you asked. Thank you so much, Christine. All right. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask-Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.